Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. But thanks for listening guys, and without further ado, let's begin. Several years ago, a friend and I went on a multi-day hiking trip during winter. While preparing for the trip, I found a forum dedicated to the trail that we'd be hiking and several threads about people going missing on it. Most of the members blamed the hikers themselves, saying they were most likely inexperienced would-be adventurers who had went off trail and gotten lost. There was one old man on the forum who claimed that he completed the trail once a year for the past 50 or so years, and he believed that there was something more sinister behind these disappearances. Naturally, the other members laughed at him. We set off before sunrise to get as many miles in as possible on the first day. That entire day, we only met one other person, a friendly middle-aged man who lived somewhat locally. He seemed impressed though that we were taking on the trail in winter and even invited us to camp near his property but we declined and pressed on. But that night we were surprised by some pretty dangerous terrain around the edge of a lake and took the decision to sleep in our bivy sacks under an overhanging rock. Not exactly ideal camping conditions but given the potential hazards we felt that this was the smartest choice. Now, I don't sleep well at the best of times in a bivy sack, and if you've ever been zipped into one, you'll know how claustrophobic it can feel. The rock hanging over my head didn't help either. 
but a few hours after, I did eventually manage to fall asleep. But I woke suddenly to the sound of my friend shouting and swearing at me. I popped my head out of my bivvy and saw that he was still sipped inside of his and had somehow gotten off the relatively level ground that we had been sleeping on and was slowly sliding down towards the lake. I quickly got up and dragged him, with great effort, back up to the level ground. He was absolutely furious with me, claiming that he'd felt me drag him, but soon calmed down and accepted that he'd most likely roll over repeatedly in his sleep. We didn't go back to sleep that night, and instead had some coffee and breakfast while waiting for the sun to come up. When we did set off, it started to rain heavily and didn't stop for almost the whole day. I was also having some trouble with an old injury in my leg, which slowed us down considerably. The sun seemed to disappear rather suddenly near the top of a deceptively steep hill as well, so we set up camp there and then, this time, in a tent. After the rough couple of days, we were grateful to be inside of a tent, and the ground underneath us was actually not too bad as well. We talked and joked about the trip so far, and for some reason I remember my friend expressing his disappointment that he'd forgotten to pack his iPad, and then we tried to sleep. Soon after though, I began to hear what sounded like human footsteps. I thought to myself, surely there isn't anybody else out here climbing this hill at night. The sound continued, and the more intently I listened, the more I became certain of what I was hearing. I poked my head out of the tent and the sound suddenly stopped. I got out to pee and I looked around, but there wasn't a soul in sight. Shortly after getting back into my sleeping bag, the footsteps started again, but this time they started circling our tent. By this point, I must admit that I was pretty frightened and I asked my friend, are you hearing this? And he responded, Yes, I am, knowing that he'd been hearing them the entire time and sounded as freaked out as I did. It genuinely terrified me. We got out of the tent again and asked if anybody was there. But again, there was no one around and the sound had stopped instantly. The footsteps around the tent continued for quite some time and we didn't sleep. As soon as the sun came up, we packed up our things got off the trail and hiked to the nearest village, got a cab to the nearest town and we made our way home. We've never been able to find a convincing explanation of what could have been causing the sound of the footsteps that night and my friend has since become a full-fledged missing person, paranormal and conspiracy enthusiast. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. 
So let me stop by saying that my brother and I are extremely experienced desert campers and we have lived near deserts pretty much our whole lives. I have never in my 20 years of life ever for one second believed in anything paranormal or anything to do with evil spirits. Unlike my brother who has always sensed presences and been able to see mostly what we call jinn, also known as demons. That is, until last night, which is safe to say marks the last time that we will be camping alone in the desert. We always have the same place that we like to go when we want to camp with minimum effort, and our day started as normal, but as we got closer and closer to our destination, I saw my brother's mood completely shift. And when I asked what was wrong, he just sort of shrugged me off and told me to just keep driving. When we arrived, I felt completely fine, but my brother was still unusually quiet. It was around 1pm at that point, and we were planning on leaving at around 12 or 1am. Because of the heat, we made the terrible decision though to set up under a few trees and a source of water, which in Middle Eastern culture is where the jinns live at night. Not that I believed that at the time, of course. However, we still set up our camp and we continued on as normal. Now, my brother always says that when he feels a presence, or several in this case, he gets extremely unlucky. First, he almost dropped a box of coals on his foot. Then he spilled an entire bottle of coke on his phone. Then he dropped it into the sand, then proceeded to smash his elbow on the edge of a chair that he was sitting on, which is now very swollen. And last but certainly not least, when he was looking through one of our boxes, he felt something cold and sharp press against his arm and he realized that it was an unsheathed knife which he packed with its case the previous night before and he later said that it felt like something pushed his hand into it right where his veins are. All of these events consecutively within a matter of a few hours was certainly making us both uneasy and I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out why he was suddenly so unlucky. But as I was starting to question his clumsiness, a random couple appeared out of nowhere, informing us that they were stuck in the sand and needed some help. We drive a Land Cruiser and they had a Nissan Altima, so we didn't expect to encounter as many issues as we did, but we first dug them out without any issues. But as we pushed them out of the sand, they got stuck again. If you know anything about dune bashing or desert camping, then you understand the physics behind how wheels get stuck in the sand, and the way that this Nissan was stuck was incredibly unusual. It was literally stuck somewhere with plenty of space available for grip, and later on my brother said that as we were digging them out of the sand, that's when he really started feeling like an evil presence around us, but didn't want to say anything as not to ruin the trip and freak me out, all these people so we ended up having to tow them out of the sand, which again was far harder than it had to be. First, our tow strap broke off from the bumper. The tow strap cost $200 and was fine, but their bumper was slightly damaged. Then we almost got stuck ourselves, and a 20-minute job took more like 90, which again was extremely unusual and, with hindsight, just the beginning of everything that was to come. So when we got back to our camp, we noticed how everything around us had suddenly got really unusually quiet. The area that we were in has hundreds of birds around, and as far as we have seen, three cats who sometimes pay us a visit. But there wasn't a single noise at all, other than our fire that is, 
which was dying out really quickly. It had gotten pretty dark quickly, so we had scrambled to build a fire to cook our dinner before we were asked to help the couple, and I had noticed the silence, but it didn't bother me. However, my brother suddenly grabbed my hand as we were sitting down to eat and said with clear fear in his voice that we should go as quickly as possible and that he didn't feel safe. To ease both of our minds, we prayed. We're Christians, so of course we thought that it would help us. But I think it may have actually accelerated everything that happened that night and just made whatever was out there with us very angry. So we quickly finished our dinner and me being the skeptic, I was completely fine and pretty much humoring my brother until I started getting this really nagging feeling that it was time to pack up and leave. It hit me like a wave too and I was quite taken aback by the feeling so I voiced it to my brother and he agreed that we should pack up right away and that we should leave. So we started packing up at a normal pace like we were just tired and wanted to leave and that's when we heard a sound very close to us on the opposite side of the pond which wasn't that big that I could only describe as the sound of, I don't know, like death itself and it seemed to go on for several minutes and when I say that we looked at each other in absolute fear, I genuinely mean that I was about to have a heart attack I think right there and then. At that point, after being frozen for a few minutes, and quite reasonably so, after hearing that bellowing screech so close to us, we turned on the car, drove it back so that we could see better with the headlamps, and just started throwing everything into the car, without much care, but with a whole lot of urgency. And, it was like after the screaming, that's when everything hit the fan. First, it was the sound of twigs snapping and footsteps all around us. Then it was the shadows behind the trees, and I tried everything to try and get those shadows to change shape, walking around the trees and moving the lights, but nothing. It looked like they were people just staring at us the whole time, and you could sort of feel it too. We really felt like we weren't alone and that whatever was out there wasn't friendly. We also noticed all three cats were huddled right behind our car, away from the trees, so they were not the ones snapping the twigs but literally did not care if they were not going to move, as I was still getting out of there. Thankfully, they left when we started reversing, but they too looked absolutely terrified and were just staring at the trees too. It also felt like whatever was there was getting closer as well, and I have never felt anything like that. It's hard to explain, but it was sort of like, I don't know, like a gut feeling and you just know it's one of those natural instincts that you should not ignore. Thankfully, we were able to pack up quickly. Our tent was very close to the trees though, so that was nerve-wracking. And whilst we were packing, it was still very eerily silent. It's very normal for birds around that area to continue making sounds until like 2 or 3 in the morning. And at this point, it was about 8pm, so it was highly unusual. In any case, I personally think that it was the most terrifying thing as I was driving away back onto the main dirt path to leave the desert. I know cars very well, I know how they drive in the sand and I know our car especially well because we've had it for so long and I could instantly tell that the steering was off and completely fighting against me which eventually fixed itself the second that we were on the highway. 
The sound of twigs snapping was still all around us, and it was loud enough to be heard over the sounds of the car even, and on the path was what seemed to be like every bird that was in the area, just standing there and staring at us until we got close enough to force them to walk away, not even fly. At one point, my brother just grabbed my shoulder and told me very sternly to just keep looking in front of me and under no circumstances to look through his window. It was his tone of voice that told me that I needed to listen to him. We were in a part of the desert where we had to pretty much drive through the whole of the accessible areas to get onto the highway and there wasn't a single person around us. The only thing that we saw was a very clearly abandoned Toyota Hilux positioned behind a small dune and hidden behind the trees but was far enough from our campsite to easily be ruled out as the source of the original screech. But the worst thing that I saw was when we were closing in on the exit. Now, we know these deserts very well. We've both grown up here and have been riding dirt bikes and quad bikes in these deserts since we moved here. And we know what wildlife to expect. Cats, birds, spiders, goats, even camels, mice, foxes sometimes, maybe even the occasional scorpion. Or, if you're really unlucky, a snake. But that is pretty much it. There's really not much else in these deserts and we saw standing in the middle of the path, staring directly at us, a deer of all things. A deer. I've only ever seen one deer in 16 years of living here and that was in someone's garden as a pet. It's safe to say though that I was in complete shock and the deer was not moving as well until I got so close that we could practically smell that thing before it just slowly walked off the path whilst looking right at us. We quickly moved past the deer and again my brother, with a gasp and then very sternly said to keep my eyes right on the road. I asked him as we got on the highway what it was that he kept seeing and he very reluctantly told me that he kept seeing large figures around us any time that we went through a bend and that they were all either pointing right at us or ahead of us. To be honest too, I'm pretty glad that he didn't tell me at the time because I don't know how I would have reacted while I was driving. And well, we still were yet to encounter anyone, but we could still very clearly hear sounds all around us. And again, not the usual bird or cat, but very clearly big and unrelenting as well. When I saw the exit though, I was as happy as I'd ever been. But that quickly faded when... Once again, we saw another deer standing right in the middle of the road, slowly walking away and looking right at us. Except this time, it didn't really look like a deer. I don't know what it was to be honest, but it sort of looked more like a, a kangaroo mixed with a deer. And its eyes were really milky and it sort of looked, I don't know, like rotten and really horrible. To be honest, I really didn't care much at this point. I just stepped on the gas and fortunately, it had gotten out of the way just in time. Now, when you exit the desert here, you can either turn right onto a long stretch of highway or you can go left and go through a small town and take the back streets to a parallel highway. And as I was about to turn right, my brother once again, with that same tone of voice, said go to the town and go to the right. Later, he once again said that he saw a line of fingers pointing ahead of us, so if we would have gone that way, we wouldn't have made it home in one piece. 
Thankfully, as we made it further and further away and closer to our home, the gut feeling of being watched was going away. And of course, having never experienced something like this before, I was distraught and I wanted to talk about it. My brother told me as we were going home that because we were alone, the djinn wanted to mess with us, that they wanted to scare us and most likely cause us harm, and that the way they get to you in such rural places is to force you to stop and then do whatever they want, which makes sense as to why there were so many animals on our path. He also said that they caused bad luck and he could feel them the second that we entered the desert that day which explains his clumsiness all day as well, and that the car got stuck in such an unusual manner. This is also my younger brother by three years, and naturally, any time he would have ever told me about this sort of thing, I always just dismissed it as him just scaring himself or a delusion or whatever, but I can excuse the sounds that we heard, even the shadows that we saw last night. I can excuse the gut feeling as just being scared, but... I cannot excuse those two deer that we saw staring right at us, and I cannot excuse the car just randomly fighting against me as I was driving like that. The deer, though, completely freaked me out, as did the tone of my brother's voice, and it's safe to say that we are not going camping there ever again. It's also safe to say that I won't ever be dismissing my brother when it comes to things like this ever again. I'm really thankful that we made it home safely that day. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So allow me to briefly explain the main characters of the story so as not to confuse you. The story involves me and my dad and two interactions involving attempted abuse by my dad's older sister's stepson. One story takes place at his aunt's home and the second one, and worse of the two stories, takes place at my dad's younger sister's home during a family gathering. So, my dad's older sister will be Aunt A, my dad's younger sister will be Aunt B, Aunt A's stepson is a 24-year-old stepcousin. At the time of encounter number one, I was in kindergarten. At the time of encounter number two, I was in first grade. So to be clear, although I was very young when these two encounters happened, I still have very vivid memories of them both. However, that being said, I do have a better recollection of the second encounter as a first grader better than the first. Now, at the time of the first encounter, I had only ever met this older stepcousin once, maybe twice prior. 
I don't remember specifically why my dad and I had been at my aunt's house and I also don't remember exactly how this situation came about. But if I am remembering it correctly, I believe my dad had gone to the restroom and I went off, wandering around the large home looking for him. This went unnoticed by the rest of the adults in the house because they were drinking, something that my dad was never into. And all I remember next is that the older step-cousin had been tickling me and wouldn't stop. Now, when I say I was being tickled, that's all that I really recall. Perhaps it was more than that and my limited understanding of such had me remember that it was tickling or perhaps it was just that, tickling. Either way, I really don't think any of us would disagree that an adult man should be alone with a little girl tickling her and touching her like that. But I remember suddenly, my dad came flying in the room. I remember my dad said very loudly to the step-cousin, What are you doing? My step-cousin jolted and then something along the lines of, Uncle so-and-so, you're overreacting, I was just... My dad cut him off and stated very coldly, I'm not your uncle, I don't know you. Get up and put your coat and shoes on because we're leaving. By this time, his dad or step-uncle, Aunt A, and other relatives had begun gathering around the door where my dad had been standing. I can't really remember if I was alone in a room with him like a bedroom or what, but... I was on some sort of surface higher up that he was tickling me on. Looking back now, I can clearly see the look on my dad's face while all of his family was trying to convince him to calm down and stay. It's obvious to me that he was doing everything in his power not to blow up and traumatize me. He just kept looking at them with his lips pressed and shaking his head saying, I don't want to hear it. I briefly remember my dad asking me questions about the step-cousin in the car on the way home. I also remember him explaining to me that I should not be alone with any adult, especially a male adult, no matter if they're family or not, but also making sure that I knew that I didn't do anything wrong, nor was what just happened in any way my fault. My dad did not talk to his family for a year or so after that, give or take. I was too young to know or understand why, just that they had a falling out. So, now to the next encounter. My dad had slowly started to speak with family again. It was summer and Aunt B's oldest child had just graduated from high school. Thus, my dad and I had been invited to the graduation party. Initially, my dad was not going to go when he found out that my step-cousin would be there. But his dad had called my dad and had an hour or two for conversations on the phone about my dad being mistaken by his interpretation of what had happened. I don't think that my dad believed him, but surely he felt that we would be at a big family event and this step-cousin would have to be literally out of his damn mind to try something in the same house as my dad for a second time. But for the first two or three hours at the graduation party, my dad kept me glued to his hip. There was a group of about maybe 13 other kids of varying ages, all running through Aunt B's house, backyard, front yard and basement and I remember staring longingly at them. My dad noticed, and so did a couple of other family members. I don't really remember who though, but I do remember my step-uncle and then my dad's older brother kind of busting him up about being overprotective and not letting me play with the other kids and all that. My dad tried to stick up for himself when one of them turned to look at me and said, Baby girl, do you want to go and play with the other kids? Of course I said yes and then looked at my dad for approval. Now that I'm older and that I'm a parent myself, I understand the kind of face that my dad was making. 
he had a look of contemplation. He surely felt uneasy and wanted to protect me and keep me by his side, but I could also see the dilemma that he was having in my mind now that I voiced my desire to do so. Some lady interjects and says something along the lines of, Oh my gosh, you're not going to be able to keep her locked up forever, you know. Let the girl play. Look how many of us are here. What's going to happen? So finally, I was given the okay by my dad who showed me where he would be and how much time I had to play freely. For the first 20 minutes or so, we were all running in a group all through the different doors of the house. I think this made my dad feel better because he could see me every few minutes too. Finally though, some of the older kids suggested that we go down to the basement to see what Aunt B had done to it. It was unfinished the last time that I had seen it beforehand, and apparently it now had carpet, the walls were painted, there was a game room, and then a living room that shaped into a sort of a private wing to the right-hand side of the other end of the stairs where the bedroom was. There was no wall or door separating the bedroom from the living room section. However, it still provided some privacy. Once we saw the new setup, we all began going back upstairs, me being the last in the line. As we were walking up the stairs though, I see my 24-year-old step-cousin, who was now walking down the stairs. He grabbed me by my shoulder and said, Oh hey, I hope you're not leaving. I was just coming down to show you something really cool that RB put down here. His voice had a high and exciting pitch. It was a tone of voice that I would find highly unsettling today should I hear a man talk this way to a kid that he hardly knew. By the time that he had finished making that comment to me about the cool thing that he wanted to show me, all the other kids were already gone. I remember looking up towards the top of the stairs and then back at him and he grabbed me by my hand to lead me down. Come on, you'll love it. I recall feeling very put off by this but also feeling too small and too little to say or do otherwise. I also think that a part of me may have felt kind of cool that someone so much older wanted to show me something, a little kid after all. But this is the first time that I can remember being allowed to go off on my own for any length of time, and so I was on that high of independence, I guess. He immediately walks me down past the couch and the TV setup, and towards the bedroom part of the basement. I remember him using his hand to pat on the bed while teasing, so do you want to try it out? See how good of a bed it is? Go on. I climbed on the bed and immediately started jumping and bouncing as high as I could. Looking back, I remember his face getting frustrated because I was not doing what he was expecting me to do. He tried sitting on the bed and he tried laying down but I wouldn't stop jumping and once he laid, I got down. He kept picking me up though with his hands under my armpits and placing me back on the bed and saying that he wanted to lay with me and take a nap, which I responded by saying that no, I don't take naps with boys. He then starts asking me questions about my dad. Do you ever sleep in bed with your daddy? Only if I ever had a bad dream, I replied. What kind of things do you and your dad do or where do you guys lay together because I know how close you and him are? Oh yes, I love my daddy. Daddy and I like to lay on the couch together and watch movies. This statement from me clearly went off like a light bulb in his head because that's when he leads me from the bed back towards the couch in the living room section. He then lays down on his side prompting me to lay down with him and pull me closer to him. He would lay me down on my side in front of him and tried to unbuckle my jeans when I would jump up. 
He had at some point unfastened his own jeans and unzipped his zipper. I was too young to understand what was going on, but I knew something was wrong and I remember saying something about my daddy not being happy about this to him. He was in the middle of trying to tell me that he had asked my dad if he could do this with me and my dad said that it was okay when suddenly I hear my dad yelling and stomping down the stairs and man was he absolutely furious. None of you know where she is, he was saying. Last time any of you kids saw her was in the basement with that guy. I jumped off the couch one more time as my dad was making an appearance in the stairway. He took one look at me and one look at this 24-year-old man who had been alone with me for who knows how long and just said calmly, you and expletives before charging at him, punching him in the face, dragging him back up from the floor by his neck. My dad had one arm around his throat while he used the other to point in his face while screaming at him. He was screaming, I knew it, I knew it, over and over again. He was also screaming, that's my daughter, over and over again. When suddenly, my dad had his two older brothers and my stepcousin's dad on his back, pulling him off of this guy. I remember that they ended up ripping my dad's shirt off of him because my dad just wouldn't let go and he wouldn't stop screaming that he was going to kill him. Finally, he looked around the room and said, I'm done with you, all of you, how dare you? And he then said, let's go baby, before scooping me up and taking me to my car seat. We drove off and we quickly stopped at the gas station. I remember my dad wiping something from his eyes. I remember him apologizing to me for letting me go off on my own and asking me if he scared me. Although Aunt A stayed with his creepy father and remains married to him today, the step-cousin was never invited to another family function again. My dad and I did not see or speak to that side of my family for six years, and it was never the same again. Remember guys, it's not always strangers you have to look out for. It's actually the people that are closest to you that are sometimes the most dangerous. So I genuinely have no clue why I haven't said anything about this yet, considering so much weird stuff happens in my life. But this was probably one of the creepiest encounters that I've ever had, and I feel lucky that I walked away. So one summer night a few years ago, I was out for a drive with a friend. We decided to make a little late night stop at a nearby waterfall for a little bit of a smoke sesh, since it was always super dead and really peaceful in the evenings. This specific time, I didn't make it anywhere near the waterfall, but as we were getting out of the car, I, a 19 year old female at the time, really had to pee. Now, I used to go to this waterfall very often and I know that area like the back of my hand, even in the dark. So I went and found a spot where it was too dark for me to see more than maybe two feet in front of me. I tried to stay as close to the forest exit as possible without being seen by a, a semi-busy road. The entire time I was up there, I absolutely know that I was being watched very closely. I ended up getting out of there as fast as I possibly could, jumping in the car and locking the doors. That entire time, I could feel someone's eyes digging into me like daggers though. I was genuinely ready to be grabbed. 
What confirmed I was definitely being watched happened when I got back to the car and I saw a kid run across the street directly up to where I was. He came from nowhere too. A literal cliff on one side and hence the waterfall. And I could genuinely only describe him as the little boy from the jungle book, clothing and all. I get majorly weird vibes every time that I go there now that I've never ever got before. It still has a weird feeling in the day and I genuinely don't know how this happened so quickly. The kid would have had to have scaled a large cliff and moved at a super super high speed. I'm going with the most logical explanation in my city which is people living in the woods with possible ulterior motives. But at this point I'm not ruling anything out. This was by far the weirdest and creepiest encounter that I've had in a long time, that I recall, and it has honestly just kind of stuck with me. I hate going to this waterfall now, which absolutely sucks because it's so close to my house and it's really gorgeous. But I don't know, I just get the weirdest vibes when I go there now. Also, just before anything else is said, I know how stupid this was, but... I was 19 and I'm stubborn as all and so nothing would have talked me out of peeing in a place where I need a flashlight. Safe to say though that I have not been back to that part of the park since. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.